So welcome to the Do More Good podcast season three. All good things come in threes, don't they, Kenny? Of course they do. Three musketeers, little pigs, triangles, your degree. <laughs> we should probably know what we're doing by now, right? You'd think so. There are times you have to step away from that and do the bigger, scarier, crunchier, harder work because it pays off in the end. Making sure that the senior people from that organisation get involved with the partnership. It's not scary. The worst thing that can happen is that someone can go, bloody hell, that was a bit of a cock up. Do I've had a few folk not from Scotland that have said to me, I didn't know you could do that with bagpipes. I think the, the message is... Do more good. Yeah! Here we are, James. Episode number 43 of the Do More Good podcast. How are you? Kenneth, I'm all right. I'm all right. I've got to admit, though, I've only just recovered. Oh, really? Yeah, I had quite a big night out on, on Friday. Okay, it for was, a change. Uh, it was the, the Deansfield Dad's Christmas party. Right. This and is the primary school of your kids, right? That's right. That's okay. right. The little gang of dads got together and we went go-karting in Barking. <laughs> oh, Yes. And I learnt that go-karting <laughs> is a, a young man's game. Oh, really? Oh, my goodness. In what way? We, we ached. I was covered in bruises. Oh. We came, I, was pre, I was quite near the back, I'll oh. be honest. I was quite near the back, but I came off. I was almost sick. Oh, my Essentially, gosh. I was on a roller coaster for 45 minutes with petrol being pumped into my face. <laughs> uh, and all of us were in bits. But the main question is, did you win? I, d- I definitely didn't and win. And you didn't win? I oh. think I got lapped twice on Europe's longest course. Oh. So, yeah, pretty poor performance from Team Do More Good. Oh, just well. About that. How about you? It's always next time. Um, yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. I've had an interesting couple of weeks. I'm trying to think the last time we caught up, probably... IFC maybe, or um, I was waving goodbye to you on the platform. Yeah, it was something IFC. like that. You looked yeah. a bit, you looked a bit poorly that day. Actually, <laughs> to be <laughs> honest, yeah. reminded me of go karting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, No, I've been good. One of the things I wanted to mention today was fundraising everywhere. I don't know if you came across it. You probably didn't miss it on Twitter. Couldn't, it was the uh, oh, couldn't avoid it with you going on about it. <coughs> yeah. Well, I know. Well, it was brilliant. It was absolutely outstanding. I um, so for anyone who doesn't know, it was a virtual conference, fundraising conference put together by Nikki Bell and Simon Scriver. They got speakers from across the world. They had attendees from across the world, all online. Twelve hours of content. I had a, a small fifteen-minute window, uh, which numbers probably dropped. But it was just brilliant. And it landed really well, didn't and it? And it landed really well. Great and you know feedback. what? The biggest th- takeaway from me, and I, and I know you and I have spoke about this before, is when you go to a fundraising conference and you spend time with fundraisers and you spend time with change makers and people who wanted to have that positive impact, I didn't expect to get that positive, energetic feeling from fundraising everywhere. You know, I was sat at home in my... Room pants. at the <laughs> my pants or my pajamas uh, at the back of the house, and I didn't feel I didn't think I'd get that. But actually, having it on on the side, second screen, you know, dipping in and out, seeing the comments, there was a conversation going on on Twitter in the green room for all of the presenters. You know, everybody was encouraging each other. Some great insights, some great knowledge being shared. It was brilliant, and so yeah, big props to to those two guys for putting it on. It was fantastic. Yeah, definitely. There was a, there was a buzz in our office as it was all happening. So, was yeah, there? Yeah, well done them. Yeah, Very I good. think there was kind of people having kind of group parties watching it, and they gave free places or free tickets to small charities. So you know, it really kind of supported the whole ecosystem. And so yeah, wish them wish them lots of luck for that in the future. And it's already launched for next year. I think so. Yeah, yeah. check it out. Fundraisingeverywhere.com. 
I believe. Or if you search fundraising everywhere, I'm sure you will find it. But in other news, along your stories of Lewis Hamilton-esque car driving, I decided as a 38-year-old dad to get involved in a 100-metre sprint with a couple of my younger colleagues at a recent away day. Right. Um, Come on. Tell me at least one of us brought home a trophy. <laughs> let's just say after about 10 metres, I was rolling around on the floor in severe pain oh. uh, with a bit of a, bit of a strain. So was it a genuine strain or were they just disappearing <laughs> off into the horizon? Dispar- yeah, to be honest, it was absolutely fine, but I just thought, you know, pull <laughs> yeah. the cord on this one. Yeah. No, it was a genuine, a genuine strain. I was in a hell of a lot what of pain. Is, what is happening to I us? I don't know. I don't know. We're just getting older, James, but you know... Mind you, we, we did um, reach a milestone of our own. We did. And you produced an absolutely exceptional video. If en- anyone hasn't seen it yet, you must check it out online or on Do More Good Pod on Twitter. All Mate, you absolutely take. nailed it. Brilliant. Well, I must say, I mean, it took about 78 takes, if I'm honest. But yeah, we got there. That was good. And it's, it's got some lovely engagement with the people that we wanted to thank. Yeah, so 10,000 10, downloads is what we hit, which was... Yeah, probably should talk about that for a minute. I was, it was... Um, a milestone, certainly. I don't think we ever kind of imagined that we'd get to that stage. Don't really understand actually how how much of a, a milestone it is. I think I seem to, from what I can l- interpret from looking online, is we should be pretty proud of that. Uh, th- let's just take it. I'm happy let's to just celebrate any small victory. Let's so just take it. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll be arranging the, uh, the celebration. I sprayed champagne all over everybody after the <laughs> go-kart and then I came seventh. So <laughs> don't worry about that. Yeah. But yeah, so it's been good. But anyway, our guest is sitting here very patiently, so we should get on and, and introduce him. Howard Lake, welcome to the Do More Good podcast. So Howard is a digital fundraising entrepreneur, having originally worked as a fundraiser at Oxfam, Afghan Aid and Amnesty International. He has published UK Fundraising at fundraising.co.uk, the world's first web resource for charity fundraisers since 1994. He had a website since 1994. Indeed, it was a long time ago. <laughs> He's an early adopter, that's for sure. Yep. And he also wrote the world's first book on the subject in 1996. He now trains and advises charities and fundraising companies on how to make the most of digital tools and of opportunities. And he created the interactive unconference fundraising camp and co-created Bar Camp Nonprofit. So we'd like to hear a little bit more about them because I haven't come across them recently, but we can, we can get into that. He's also a fellow of the Institute of Fundraising. He's a chair of the judging panel of the National Fundraising Awards. And he is currently exploring some really exciting possibilities of growing giving, which is fantastic. Big so deal. Big deal. Big deal in the room, people. <laughs> big deal in fundraising. Howard yeah, Lake, welcome. See. Thank you very much, Kenneth and James. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Yes, I'm very pleased to be meeting you here in, in a pub again. So many times of your, your recordings are in pubs. Oh, I, I, I don't know that. how that keeps happening. No. <laughs> yeah. oh, I've, got, I've got no idea. I think we bumped into you last uh, at IFC. Just after the plenary speech, maybe? That's right, we did, yes, in a room packed full of about a thousand fundraisers, which was was. a delight. How was IFC for you this year? Very good, always very good, Uh, just full-on fundraising. If you can cope with fundraising for three, four days, pretty much 24 hours a day, then that's the right place for you. I just learn a huge amount from some very talented people and enjoy myself talking to people like you and other people there. Yeah, Yeah, it was really good. We really enjoyed it, didn't we? Yeah, so that's what we've got to. Where did it all begin for you? Where did your fundraising career start? I reckon it started at university. I was very lucky, worked with a small group of other fellow students, 
we decided to raise some money for Oxfam uh, with no background or experience in fundraising at all, apart from taking around a collecting tin at primary school, I think. Probably the, <laughs> the RNLI collecting boat that you put, yes. your, put your penny in. Classic. Classic. Um, so that started me off. But then, yeah, so we decided to fundraise and we just came up with our own ideas, which was lovely. And we found out that we could do it. And that was just the most amazing thing, having never done it before. We did the first year, we came up with the idea of a raffle, but we managed to get pretty much the whole of the university involved legally at that point. Mm. Probably couldn't do it this today, mm. but we just had to persuade each student, each college, each, their student body to allow us to put a £2 charge on each student's termly bill. Nice. And you only had to convince about 50 people who turned up to those meetings to do that. And at that point, we're talking 30 years ago, it was legal. So we got thousands and thousands of fundraisers, of uh, students, all contributing just £2. And it was a raffle, so we were able to give a really big chunk of cash away, but still raise lots of money for Oxfam. Nice. So... And even better, that apparently that still goes on, does it? It somehow it's lived on. I can't claim any <laughs> any credit for it except the original idea. I don't think it's a raffle anymore, but I I, I would love to hear if anyone has, can actually prove that it is still going on. It's going on in several colleges. I don't know if it's going on university wide. What university was that at? That was Oxford. Oxford. So it's colleges. Okay. So each college sort of does things differently. Of course. Um, what a legacy! To I know. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. I, must, I really must look into that more often. But I've heard several people have said there is this st- system still going on. And so, so that like got you enough content for us to wrap it up. That's <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. We'll, we'll, just, we'll just end the show there. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much, Howard. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like a great start. But what was yeah. it? What was it that you? I mean, when was it that you decided that this was going to be a path that you would explore? I think by the time I'd finished university, I'd worked out that was one of the few things I could do really? um, in the real world. So raising money, that was one thing. Uh-huh. The other one, that could, I could have gone two ways, either fundraiser or I, could, I would loved working in arts administration. Uh-huh. So I could have ended up running a theatre or something. So that's my parallel universe that never happened. Really? But I'd still, yeah, I'd love to have done that. Is it still a passion of yours now? I suppose it is, yes. Yeah. Um, I love all kinds of, of arts, theatre. Mm performance, music, opera. Um, my parents are musicians, so I grew up with opera in the background, which was lovely. And luckily, I enjoyed it. He's currently pulling a, d- a violin out of his bag there. Go on, <laughs> go on Howard. Let's, let's have a little rendition. <laughs> so you took this, Not presumably true. you took your clandestine fundraising to Oxfam and said, look, this is, this is what I've managed to secure. Give us a job. Kind of indirectly, they, we, when we started fundraising and when we repeated it with a different idea the next year... Then we Don't were tell me it was above board what you did next. It was Remain the rebel for me. It Go was on. truly <laughs> above board because we worked with. We had to contact the local Oxfam fundraiser, make sure we were doing things legally, and she pointed out there were one or two things that we weren't, um, <laughs> and certainly some Im- improvements on how we presented images. Crikey, in those days, we we just thought you put images of you know very very unwell children and that would work people would give and she very kindly pointed out that was not Oxfam policy there was uh, the importance of sort of dignity of of the sort of beneficiary Mm. and we learned so I learned that very early on but no we worked with her and it was just lucky at the end having left university she happened to mention there was a job to apply for so I applied for it and very luckily I I got it and how long did you spend at at Oxfam and and, and working in charities before you kind of Nine years as a fundraiser. First, okay. first of all, with Oxfam. Then three years as a sole fundraiser at Afghan Aid, which uh-huh. worked inside Afghanistan. That was the late eighties, and then five years as a fundraiser at Amnesty UK, covering their charitable trust, okay. which did all the effectively all the tax-effective giving that Amnesty, the campaigning body, couldn't get hold of. 
And then you jumped into launching UK fundraising. Yes. While I was at Amnesty, I put myself through another... Uh, degree course. My previous degree was pretty much medieval history, okay. which I suspected probably wouldn't get me too far in life. <laughs> so in the early 90s, I put myself through an information science master's. And that's, that's kind of best described as the, the I, I in IT. Mm. Um, so it's not the tech, it's the mm. information. How do you manage information, price it, protect it, blah, blah, blah. So that got me into it. And I got access in about 92 to the very beginnings of the web. Wow, yeah, and because we are very much the beginning. And like I touched on earlier, I mean, you don't meet many people now who set up a website in, what was it, 1994, you No, said? indeed, in about three days' time. It you, had a, you had a MySpace page, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> so did I. <laughs> yeah. didn't we were all? all on Friends Reunited. <laughs> we, we were yeah. Friends Reunited, I do remember that, yeah. Those I was Friends Reunited. Those are blasts from the past. There really is are. a blast from the past. But <laughs> yeah, but setting up a website in 1994 yeah. uh, and, and around a topic that you'd been working in, I mean, that was quite a... Quite a bold entrepreneurial thing to do at that time, wasn't it? It was. I mean, it was scary. It was. I had no plan and no idea how it turned out. Um, we know this. We know. The, we know <laughs> that feeling. <laughs> we can relate. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good idea of just do it. The, the resources were all free at the university. I had right. access to to the web in those days, and most people didn't. Mm. So, and I just found so much stuff. So many fundraisers using in those days. Email was the main way. But the beginnings of the web as well. There was so much information already available. So I thought, wow, let's try and share that. So you created one page wow. 25 years ago. And did you feel like you had to rush to get this out? That other people were going to come up with this same idea and you were kind of <laughs> you, were, you were trying to get there before other, other people did? Or, or Nowadays they would. Did you feel but no, very much on your own it was, doing it? It or? was absolutely quiet out there. Yeah, um, sure. So it was me launching my page. And yeah, not a lot of interest. My lovely, lovely fundraising friends at, at Amnesty definitely, they admitted they didn't get it, but they just knew it was important. And they kind of humored me and con- encouraged me to keep going. But no, the rest of the world was not terribly interested in a, in a <laughs> web page or even three web pages about fundraising. That was not important in those and when, days. And when did it become start becoming something that you decided, okay, this is no, no longer just a side project, passion project, but this is actually maybe something that I can help drive the rest of my career what what, what time was that that was 97 so i left amnesty so i could run the site full-time as a business i'd set it up as a limited company in 96 Mm. oh i imagine your leaving speech at amnesty when you said look at me you were you were laughing at me three years ago when i set up my three pages look at me now i'm a media mogul (laughs) there was something of that i have to say i did rather hope that i would become the first the world's first dot org millionaire but (laughs) what hubris 25 years later (laughs) just three quid off (laughs) no chance no chance of that at all but but yeah so 97 so wonderful really lucky and uh, Ever since then, I've been following what fundraisers, so you, me, our predecessors, yeah. our peers and colleagues, have done with digital. Uh, I was going to say, what, what's, what's, the, what's the mission? I mean, because I, I can imagine there's not many people who are listening to this that haven't come across UK fundraising. I mean, I remember it very early on in my fundraising career, kind of seeing it and seeing it was a great resource for, for stories, for news, for education, because I had to get up to speed with fundraising pretty quickly. So it was great for that. But when, what, what's the mission of it today? What, what's it, what does it stand for? It's effectively to use digital tools to help fundraisers raise more money. Really? Purely okay. that. Um, sharing information from anyone. That's the important thing. It, it's not my voice. I've only got a limited amount to share. Yeah. It's open to anyone with anything useful, practical, to a range of fundraisers. 
whether that's news, comment, ideas, new resources. So there's always been an element of community, mm. which won't surprise fundraisers. Yeah, yeah, um, of course. We talk, we share, and I was just lucky to be there at the beginning and trying to encourage it in a digital digital format. And where do you see it going? Have you got any? Is there a is there a, a grand plan? I mean, when when are you going to hit that million pounds uh, dot org? Whatever it is, <laughs> I'm investing in it. I'm, I'm buying shares now. I really wouldn't. I think there are far better things to invest in. Yeah, um, yeah. I think more of it, more content by people, but also allowing more, so many things. I being up close, I can see. I can. I'd love to improve. Yes. To make the site more personally relevant to each fundraiser okay. without encouraging ex- silos, yes. silo thinking. So providing personalized information that reduces the amount of time they need to spend searching for it yeah. and is directly relevant and learns with them. So I think we're probably talking AI, yeah. machine learning, but yeah. am I anywhere near that? No, not a chance. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. There's, there's a lot more that could be done, if not by me, by, by someone else using that kind of model. Exciting times. And the time this is released, you will have... Just had a birthday, would that be right? Would I will indeed. The site website will have hit 25 years old, so I've wow. been running a website for a quarter of a century, wow. which does make me feel a little old and a little tired, <laughs> but also very pleased. I've kept it going. Yeah. Is there a party we can come to? There will be a party on Saturday, so if you're in Colchester, come along. How's your diary looking? I'm free. No, I'm cancelling everything else. Brilliant. So You've got a go car, we can get us up there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we won't get there by Saturday if I'm driving. Okay. <laughs> No, I think it's great. And, you know, major uh, props to you, Howard, for kind of putting at it and sticking at it. I mean, I think it's, you you know, it's a great resource. And so if anyone's listening who hasn't come across it, please, please do go and and, and check it out. And and if anyone's kind of has any ideas or wants to contribute, I guess there's a community. Contact details are obviously on there. But absolutely. Contact me. Talk to me. There are so many fundraisers with fabulous experience and ideas to Mm. share. All I would do is encourage, put your head, head above the parapet. The sector needs improving, the sector needs to grow. And it shouldn't just be the, the same old voices yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that we hear, and I'm one of them. There are yeah. so many voices. Kenneth is the other one. <laughs> well, <laughs> we are slowly becoming them. Oh, we're, we're probably there already, I think. Yeah. So, um, yeah, any new voices, more than happy to share them. Or There are so many other outlets as well. I'd encourage fundraisers, even at the very beginning of their career, share what you do. Share your background, share your ideas and aspirations. I think that's a really interesting point because we were touching on it a bit before James finally decided to join us 25 minutes late about kind of young fundraisers and about people actually putting themselves out there and how we can encourage people to do that. And we've seen it ourselves. We had a few people approach us who we do need to get on at some point, but people who are relatively young in their career and saying, I've heard your podcast. I'd love to come and tell my story about where I'm going. And I think that's just absolutely brilliant at that age because it... Early 20s, I'd have been absolutely scared, excuse my French, to, to kind of do that. Don't, don't be afraid to kind of put yourself and, and, and ask. And everybody in this sector is so accommodating and open yeah. and willing to hear you out yeah. that nobody should be afraid of, of asking that question and contacting Howard Lake if they want to feature something on the site. Or indeed, or, or both of you with Do More Good. Absolutely. I mean, there are so many different ways, whether, however you feel comfortable sharing, whether it's in text or whether it's voice or video. There are lots of supportive fundraisers out there um, sharing content, which is wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, Which brings us on nicely to the launch of a new service in January. That's right. Having done this stuff for 25 years, I want to do something else to try and grow fundraising and improve it. So in January, we'll be launching a new fundraising jobs board to help charities find and recruit a broader range of fundraisers so that we grow fundraising and find even better fundraisers. Um, But the whole idea is to save the charity sector substantial sums, so we're going to offer very, very low cost, one 
annual sum for unlimited job ads. And we're going to promote it through UK fundraising and other ways to find enough fundraisers to make it work. So the sector, with any luck, should wow. save substantial sums. That's interesting. What's the, what, what do you think is the challenge with, fun, with recruitment in the fundraising sector at the moment? I'd be interested in your view. I think if you look between us, there's a lot of recruiting in our own image. Yes. And that's not a great thing for fundraising for, for sort of flexibility, for finding new routes to donors, new ideas and so on. So that's definitely one, one challenge. I know mm. lots of people are working on that, which is mm. encouraging. I think also the general public don't get fundraising as a career. There's just not enough opportunities or not enough fundraisers going to talk in schools, universities, higher education, wherever. Mm. Um, I think that would help for the public to see fundraising as an astonishing profession that can, can use almost any kind of skill commercial, social, whatever. Yeah. It's interesting about people coming in this, to the sector from other disciplines. I really like to hear that because I think that's... Well, that was going to be my point around... Right? I, don't, I don't know about other industries, but we do seem to spend a vast amount of time recruiting people rather than yeah. doing our day jobs. And I don't know whether turnover is much higher in the charity sector. It feels like it is. I think it is, isn't it? I, I, think it's, it, I don't think it's really changed. When I rem- the figure I've always heard, um, and whenever I talk to people who know, it doesn't seem to change. It's about every 18 months, fundraisers change their jobs. I mean, it's a huge generalisation, but it's a yeah. very short time yeah, to yeah, get yeah. your feet under the desk, learn, in, you know, learn what's happened before, apply your own expertise, if and then know. learn from that. That's if not enough time. you're possibly drawing up plans for the next two or three years but yet your entire team might change yeah in good periods point. of 18 months how do you create any sense of momentum and stability there yeah. to deliver the plans that somebody else came up with mm. it's going to lead to uncertainty within the sector you know what it was interesting from from an ARUK point of view when i was alzheimer's research so based up in in, in cambridge you managed to get staff to kind of stay there because it was outside of London. And yeah. so, therefore, the appeal for other charity jobs maybe wasn't quite there because it was a bigger step. You had to either go to, Lon- you had to, go, go to London or, you know, or that was it, basically. But they used to keep people around. And it definitely helped in terms of that culture of, yes, there was more people coming in, but not many people were going out through the door. I mean, the, the, the charity was growing yeah, at the time. Yeah, you can but, bring in the know, new ideas at yes. the same time as keeping people who know how... Things work. People who've written that five-year plan yeah. or that five-year strategy or yeah. that five-year, you know, campaign, whatever it might be, and kind of actually see it through. I'm yeah. sure London and the southeast does distort that figure. That's yes. probably why it is so low. Whereas, yes, yes outside, people are prepared to stick longer. Yeah. Okay, we, we've kind of turned this in on itself. Actually, what you want is people changing jobs. Um, so <laughs> there is that. That could be one of the downsides. Um, but if they are going to change jobs, and we accept that, then they should certainly not be paying the sums that many charities have to pay. So that's definitely one thing we'd like to yeah. like to achieve: cut the costs. But also, just just undercutting existing providers isn't really a great business scheme on its own. Mm. Um, so we need to do something else. So the whole point of this is it's a social enterprise. And the flip side is, if we get the volume we hope and expect then we will be donating a proportion of our net profits to fund training of fundraisers. And how, what, what kind of form will that take? Do you know yet? We do. We know how we're going to distribute it. Um, mm-hmm. We're talking to the people who are going to be distributing it at the moment because we're not experienced grant makers, yep. but people who work with fundraisers every day. So we're really quite excited to see what that bursary fund will start doing. And there will also be a strong emphasis on equality and diversity mm. um, to try and ensure that we're not just recruiting in our own image. Yes. Um, so we're talking to various people on that. Yeah. So, yes, saving the charity sector large sums of money with any luck mm. and also helping 
possibly even fundraisers to stay longer in their jobs because they are more fulfilled, they have better access to training, conferences mm. and so on, mm. including places like Fundraising Everywhere maybe. Mm. But just to, so, to help them stay in their position if, if, tr- if lack of training has been a problem in the past. And also to try and support in particular smaller charities so the site's cost, the very low cost standard sum, will, we hope, actually enable some smaller charities to, to try and recruit their very first fundraiser or at least look on a broader level than maybe just their local town or region yeah. uh, that could, they could only afford advertising before. So yeah, yeah. that's the idea. We will see if it works in January. Multiple wins happening there for everybody involved. I do yeah. hope so. That's the plan. Yeah, it sounds really incredible. Good luck, good luck with it, because I think it's, uh, it's certainly the recruitment market is somewhere that needs to be disrupted a little bit further than it, ha- than it has been today. I mean, even when with the presence of the online destinations such as LinkedIn, I mean, still the extortionate rates that they charge yes. to kind of advertise yes. on there. I mean, it's, it's, it's not cheap by any means. So no. anything that can offer charities will be in- incredible. So and it's, it's, it's very collaborative as well. That's the whole point. We, we know some of the answers, but we don't know too many of them. So we're working with all kinds of partners and are open to other, other ideas. So we're working with charity people to bring the sort of recruitment expertise. Yeah. We've got the recruitment reach with the fundraisers and working with, yeah, as I say, various organizations about getting, getting the training. But the other thing we want to talk to you about, Howard, was the, the white paper that you did, you did recently about the future, the future of fundraising. And as we touched on in the intro, well, why don't you talk us through it? Why don't you talk us through kind of the topic of the, the paper and what were some of the points that you raised as part of it? Sure. This is based to some extent on the large amount of fundraising news I've shared over the years. Much of it has been very inspiring and much of it has achieved great things. But I, over the last couple of years, have been slightly worried that some public income is flatlining, declining. I'm not the only one. There's enough people who know some of these challenges. We live in a very complicated world and a fast-moving world. Where is new money going to come from? And even if we just assume that climate crisis is going to affect every charity, every donor, every beneficiary from now on, where is the money going to come from to cope with that, in addition to the challenges that all charities face now it, it did make for some quite scary reading there were there were some scary stats in there just at the top of my head yeah 43 percent of the top 100 charities in the uk saw a decline in income in 2017-18 yep that's worrying it is i mean the first to admit it could be a blip you know you need to see a trend rather than just one stat but there were enough stats that i had managed to grab and these were kind of convincing me that something is going on yeah. change is happening um, it also seems to be worrying CEOs as well. Yeah, 54% absolutely. of CEOs saw finding income as their most pressing short-term issue yeah. at the moment. And uh, again, I'm going to try and not to be too Cassandra-like and accept, you know, fundraising has always been a challenge. There have always been charities facing funding crises and, and problems. So I'm not going to try and overblow that. But I think there's more than enough data to show that we are in a particularly challenging time, as they, even if we don't take into account climate crisis. Yeah, and you, you and, mentioned that, and, and that, change. Was, that was the theme of uh, IFC uh, yes. last month, a couple of months ago. T- time for action around that, and, and we were all terrified in the plenary speeches around that. Yep. It's, you're right, it will affect all of us in our, in our day-to-day lives, in our working lives. Over the next few years, that is a tidal wave that is coming our way, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. 
I really like. I really like one of the the, the points that I, I took away was the, the point I think you made around digital fundraising and actually that you know we hear that everywhere and of course you've touched on it already today about digital fundraising and innovation and and AI and machine learning and all of these great exciting new technologies that are all here and we see around us every day but they're not yet able to really have an impact on that fundraising total and so i guess the question is do you think that it just hasn't got there yet or are we hoping that digital fundraising is that that answer we've all been looking for and you know (laughs) it's a possibility but we've been waiting 25 years Mm. since digital has been around charity websites were developed the first ones in the very midnight in the mid 90s if it's going to kick in it might have kicked in by now and if Mm. not how soon how long do we have to wait so that is just one of my concerns that i raised and also the other element of what in the last 25 or however long you've been a fundraiser what has been the biggest new source of income Mm. has there been one Mm. and turning it the other way around why hasn't the charity sector or giving been revolutionized Mm. um, or transformed or disrupted whichever jargon you want in the last quarter of a century so many other industries have been That hasn't really happened. There have been great innovations, not decrying anything, and certainly yes. not decrying anything that fundraisers have done, just to bring in money in all of the challenging times of the last 25 years or so has been a huge achievement. But what's going to change? How can we make stuff change and find new, sustainable sources of giving or just unblock some of the existing fundraising blockages? Well, you, and you also, you talked a little bit around opportunities there and how, how huge the fashion industry is for example the amount of money that is spent in the uk mm. online and how if we could tap into just a tiny tiny percentage of kenneth's clothing budget yeah. for the year <laughs> just the roll neck sales we would we, we would be sorted could, we, we'd yes, be fine exactly. absolutely yeah. Yeah. Everything. everything would be cured over to kenneth but kind of looking at looking at clever ways of adding maybe two pounds to a student's fees over a year without them necessarily (laughs) knowing that sort of thing yeah maybe not these days but but worth an idea i think that's it i don't i certainly don't have the solutions i'm simply asking questions and questions that others are asking but i think what i'd love to hear an old point of the white paper uh, that was published by advanced was to get that those questions out there and Mm. to see who else came forward so thank you for allowing me to speak on this that's one of the benefits of doing so so thank you i think one of the other interesting points that you made was around the subscription service and you you talked about six eight hundred million pounds per year are wasted on free trial i've got seven hundred million pounds worth of nectar points (laughs) (laughs) exactly most of it's mine but i think that that, what what that point said to me and and i'm not sure if this is where uh, it might be an interesting question howard is about where do you if you were to back now, would the solution for this problem come from outside the sector or from inside the sector? And I was going to kind of back up that point by saying, you know, we've talked about £800 million worth of wasted expenditure, essentially, by the general public on services they don't even use. But we're also seeing a trend of a lot of big business now having a more of a focus on CSR and their mm. environmental impact and their their social impact. I'd say that's, that's another, it's a challenge and an opportunity. Mm. Um, businesses look like charities in many cases or they've kind of stepped into our area. Yes. Uh, that's not necessarily a criticism of charities. It's just what businesses have worked out, what works, appeal to people's social desires, concerns, and, and try and give them the sense that they're making a difference, which mm. is what charities have been trying forever. Is greenwashing at a company such a bad thing? If Nike can throw £100 million at a problem, is that necessarily a bad thing that a charity can't do that? 
Good question. I I think that's part of the challenge of any facing any corporate fundraiser. How do you work with companies that may take a very different approach or very different attitude, yet the money is forthcoming and the money can be life-changing um, on a grand scale? Yeah. Um, yeah, that is definitely part of part of the challenge. Um, but I will be try and be positive about this. With all sort of fraction and change in the world, there is there there is opportunities. There are really clever people that can spot the opportunities. So I'm kind of that's what I'm hoping. You asked Kenneth whether it's going to come from within the sector or outside. In a way, I don't care. No, of course. Um, and we shouldn't. That's why we should be open to other sectors, whether it's financial tech, fintech. Uh, whether it's you know a student in their back bedroom, someone that has would never even consider the word fundraising, but the idea they've come up with actually could be adapted, and it just takes someone like you or me or someone else to spot the opportunity and, and support them. There, there are also companies who have been set up purely with that model as their USP. So I'm thinking of Tom's, for example, who yeah. you know, they give away sh- shoes whilst also selling overpriced canvas sh- shoes. I've fallen for it, haven't yeah. we all, in the summer? that as a model for a business to appeal to those millennials who need that yeah. that's a very clever way of going about it yeah i mean you could argue that increased social enterprise could be one solution to this and moving on from purely grant based activities frees up charities can all charities develop social enterprises that's yep very interesting question yeah, yeah, probably, yeah probably not all of them depending yeah. on the topic and the people they work with but maybe more could but is that going to be enough? Can we trade our way through to, you know, solving society's problems? Or yeah. In the case of not uh, selling our souls. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. But, I, but I think, it, you know, and I think we're all on the same page here. It's, it's not to say that the, the sector, I mean, yes, we've had a small decline over recent years. It's still bloody fantastic. Yeah. I mean, you know, like it's still performing with an eighth of the resources <laughs> of the, the, the corporate sector and, and, and delivering huge value. In a lot of places, but I think there's, but then, and I'm sure you've experienced this, Howard, as probably we all have, there's certain organizations where you're looking at them and you're saying, well, okay, fundraising hasn't changed much in the last 15 years, but neither of you as an organization changed much in mm. the last 15 years. And so we, we do have to be introspective and look at this ourselves yeah. and say, well, we've, we've, we've got the trustees, the, the, the CEOs, the leaders of, uh, of these charities have also got to look at how they can change. Yeah, I mean, it is. I, th- I would suggest there is changes required, changes happening anyway. It's being forced on us. Society is changing at a rapid pace, certainly in the last few years. And, yeah, we need to re- be able to respond to that. Well, and that's easier your, said than done. One of your stats was that, um, what was it, uh, only 40% of CEOs are planning further than three years in advance. Yeah. Possibly because they're already looking for their, their next job. <laughs> they're you know, 18 months in. But... That's not necessarily a bad thing. If we're thinking that technology and, and, the, and, and climate change is going to affect us, having short-term plans isn't necessarily a bad thing, rather than rigidly sticking to, f- to yeah. 5, 10. Yeah, my guess is the, the world has changed enough to make sure, to require organisations to be more agile, to at least be able to focus yeah. more confidently on the next two or three years rather than five years, whereas 10, 15, 20 years ago, five-year, 10-year plans were slightly more possible. I so, know. I mean, I think it's, it's suddenly just got a little bit louder in this bar. I think the, uh, the party has the arrived. Nu- the we, news is out that we're here, Kenneth. The news is out <laughs> that we're here. But I think it's a, a good point just to sum up on that, on that discussion there is where you said at the end it's time to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I think mm. that's a message we're hearing a lot more recently uh, about we, we, change is coming, it's here now, we, we have got to adapt and, and 
and, and change. I was just going to say, Howard, if the, you know you're getting involved with this, you're 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 thinking about ideas. You you were talking about setting up a social enterprise to maybe focus on this a bit more. Yep. If there's anyone listening to this that this is a real hot topic for them. I'm sure you'd encourage them to, to kind of get in touch with I you. I would love to. If anyone else is thinking of this, if they're developing products, ideas, I'd be delighted to speak to them. I think the whole the way forward is collaboration. Uh, there are some. I would love to hear from anyone working in growing giving on a massive scale. On a massive scale, brilliant. That's a really good point. Great stuff. I like Should we hit him with the big three? Let's hit him with the big three. Oh, here we go. We need to dim the lights for this one. So, Howard, we've got some quick fire questions for you. Go for it. If you could transport back in time and meet your 20-year-old self, what piece of advice would you give and why? Move faster. Have confidence that this will change. Yeah, just, just get on with it. Get on with it. Get on with it. No, mm. no one's watching. It's a, good, it's a good point because I hope, you know, hopefully somewhere some, someone's listening to this 20-year-old. Yeah. yeah. Just go for it. Do. Just don't don't do hold it. back. Yeah, don't hold back. Make, 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 the, make the difference you want to do. Yeah. As soon as you can. And if you, possibly if you were talking to your 20-year-old self, what life hack or productivity tool would you tell them about from your later years that would benefit them 20 years ago? Sleep and run. <laughs> simultaneously? Or? Definitely not simultaneously, but probably young people could manage that, I imagine. Yeah, get as much sleep as you can, keep clear head, and just get out and run. Do, yeah. do something healthy every day. Stop work, get out, run to work, run from work. Uh, running, I think, is a wonderful thing, it, especially when it's social. If it's you on your own, not so good. Yeah. But I thoroughly recommend running. It's a great, calming experience. Do you run? Do you run every day then? Pretty much. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> but I do run with friends when I run. We run about twi- twice a week. Okay. So it's it's running not it's running only so fast that where we can still hold a conversation hold a and conversation. run, which is, yeah. is lovely. And Howard is a podcast that focuses on on people doing more good. What's the one supporter story, inspiring individual that you've, read a, you've met across your career? And I'm sure you've met thousands. But what's the one that sticks in your mind from recently that someone who was doing more good for others? It's, it's truly unfair to focus on one. So I'll, st- I'll go right back to the beginning. And that was my first boss, my first fundraising boss, Vera, who we, I worked with at Oxfam when we, as a student. She supported us. She had confidence that a group of five young, inexperienced people could actually make a difference and she also inspired me because she was unbelievably fearless in asking for money she had no problem in being told no and i found that unbelievably inspiring so that's my lesson from her ask because sometimes it'll make a difference it's amazing cheers to vera yeah Yeah. cheers to vera it's a nice nice point to wrap it up well before the party gets going in here Properly, yeah. Uh, seems should we to. wrap it up? What you got planned? What you got coming up, James? We got you've inspired me to cancel my subscription to Men's Bodybuilding Magazine. <laughs> yeah, how about you? What day are we on today? It's Wednesday. Wednesday. It's a Wednesday. It's nearly the start of December. We've got a few interesting interviews planned, and then we're considering a Christmas, a little something different for Christmas, aren't we? We are. We won't reveal too much. Yeah, look out under the tree. Check your stockings. (laughs) Check your stockings. (laughs) Exactly. Let's leave it there. Have a good one. Howard, thank you so much. Just before we let you go, sorry, if anyone wants to find you, where would be the best if they don't follow you already or... Please visit the site, fundraising.co.uk. That says what it does on the tin and anytime on Twitter at at Howard Lake. Perfect. 
Brilliant. Thank you, Howard. Thank you so much. Thank really you. enjoyable. Speak soon. Cheers, James. Nice one. Cheers, mate. So, James, just wrapped up another fantastic episode, if I don't say so myself. How did you find it? It's all right, wasn't it? <laughs> if anyone wants to kind of follow up and actually enjoy this thing, where can they find us? Well, we're on Twitter, Kenneth. At Do More Good Pod. Instagram. At Do More Good Pod. Have we gone multi channel and even gone to YouTube? We have, but you can find all those videos on the website domoregood.uk. And if you want to contact us by email, please use contact at domoregood.uk. 